what counts as drugs? You know, this is a question which, upon examination, really becomes extremely interesting and somewhat impossible to answer. I think you start off with a kind of naive assumption that what a drug is is something which alters consciousness. But, you know, there's... um, there's a great book by this guy, Dale Pendle, who wrote, he wrote a trilogy called Pharmacognosis, Pharmacodynamis, and another one, and um, in which he kind of, he has little sections devoted each to different drugs and kind of poetically meditates upon them. And he has a chapter in there on rice. Hmm. And when you sit and read it, you kind of think, well, that's true. I eat a bowl of rice, and that does kind of alter my consciousness. And uh, on the other hand, when I don't eat fasting for a period of time, that really alters consciousness. When I get a good night's sleep, that alters my consciousness. And sleep deprivation, boy, that's a powerful consciousness alterant. And then you start to think, well, when I walk out and stand in the sun... That's really altering my consciousness. But then when a cloud goes across the the sun, that's altering my consciousness. And then, all of a sudden, you begin to have the crazy idea that the very nature of consciousness is alteration. Mm -hmm. And then where are you? (laughs) When people say that altering your consciousness is bad... What are they really saying, do you think? I think what they're really saying is that grasping for a better state of consciousness is interesting to let go of. That's what I think they're really saying. And I will say that part of the way the word drugs is constructed in the society that I live in is that drugs are a thing that is marketed to people either by large corporations or by street side, you know, drug dealers as substances which can take a state of consciousness that you're in, which is imagined to be unacceptable and alter it in such a way that it'll be more acceptable. And I think when people say that altering consciousness is bad, they mean they want to problematize that notion that we should be chasing a better state of consciousness, some state of consciousness that's better than the one that we happen to be in right now. What I notice about drugs in the society in which I live, not to presume we live in the same one, is that certain ones are available at every single street corner for $1. And certain ones are available at age-restricted but pervasive facilities for $10. And others require the diagnosis of a medical doctor 
and a prescription, but then some of those will be provided to you by society if you can get that prescription. And others are forbidden to anyone on pain of arrest by the state. (laughs) What kinds of decisions do you think go into making policy to determine which ones of those are which? Oh, Paul. I, I mean, you know that, that uh, I, it's hard to avoid, isn't it, having a cynical view mm. and imagining that the, uh, the basic drivers are economic mm-hmm. and that there are certain kind of groups in society who profit from certain risk premia <laughs> and those groups lobby for whatever will preserve their risk premia or their barriers to entry and maximize their profits. Um, I suspect that many people feel there are ideological reasons why they make these choices. But uh, unfortunately, I have a a sort of a dim view, and I also suspect that those people are self-deluding. Is that terrible of me? Mm. No, I don't think I don't think anybody can really claim any high or low ground here. The people so you wait, so you're saying the people who are the people who believe that it's ideological are deluding themselves and that it's really a a, a profit-oriented structure. Well, I think the people who are making policy who believe they're doing so in ideological or moral ah. even grounds are are, are po- I, I suspect are in the main deluding themselves. Yes, I see. So people who were concerned, for instance, for the safety, for preserve, you know, protecting the youth against becoming habituated to certain drugs while encouraging youth to become habituated to other drugs, uh, I think they think they have reasons which are other than economic. Uh-huh. But I think they may be wrong. I see what you mean. So there's an interesting case for this uh, being tested right now, I feel, in the, let's, in the over culture, the over society that we do both live inside of. That is to say, federal law in the United States of America. I feel like we're at a juncture that, 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 that you and I have both observed with great interest where a certain class of drugs, mind-altering substances, ha- is, is making a transition from uh, illegal on very ideological-sounding grounds and only available to countercultural people with the right set of privileges to violate the law by using them to 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 finding purchase in the post-capitalist marketplace and medical and risk premia uh, that are that that society can profit from or something and and now becoming legitimate enterprises uh, and presumably uh, by multiple means, medical, recreational, whatever. Um, 
How do you think that's going when you look at the transition? I feel like it's really, um, <clears throat> I feel like it's really a two-edged sword, or perhaps, as my wife would say, a three-edged sword. <laughs> um, I, there's, on the one hand, it's clear that what's happening, if we look at the what, what people are calling the mush rush, mm-hmm. um, it's clear that what's happening is some billionaires have figured out a way of kind of altering the economic incentives so that money will flow to them. And it's clear that the, the psychedelic society, um, those of us who have been outlaws uh, for decades, are losing something. We're losing something beautiful and intangible, which is, has to do with the cultural construction of outlaws of transgression mm. and a kind of tribal, tribal, you know, connection that we have gotten to share, which because of the extreme sensitivity of these substances set in setting means that the nature of the effects of the substances themselves on consciousness is going to change. Mm. Now, on the other hand, uh, as the, uh, one of the ways I think about law is that it doesn't have to do so much with uh, the legal system as it has to do with a kind of codification of cultural norms. And as we can see with cannabis, you know, cannabis legalization has been a disaster for the small cannabis grower, but it's been great for society, I think. And I think it's been great for society because tons of people who were afraid to get high now feel that they, they feel safe getting high. They can get access to drugs uh, of, of known provenance and, more importantly, of known dosage, mm-hmm. which was an immense risk involved in eating any brownie anybody served you, you know, when I was a teen. Yeah, when I was making them as a teen. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and what that means for me is that people are getting stoned, and stoned thoughts are entering the noosphere. And that, I think, I, I really do believe is an unalloyed good for society. So, you know, by the same token, I feel like easy access to psychedelics is, we, we are going to lose something, uh, but we're also going to gain something. And so... What I feel is that the important move now for people in the psychedelic community is to try to establish a culture which is resistant to legalization, just as we have established previously a culture that was resistant to illegality, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, We need to be organizing in order to resist the medicalization of these substances and to be able to carve out some kinds of areas which are resistant to the profit motive. That's, that's I feel, the job that is in front of us right now. Tell me what you have known yourself about that which will be lost when the intrinsic transgression of psychedelic consciousness is... Uh, diluted or removed entirely 
if we fail to resist legalization? There is something about facing the void. There is something in me that when I, I will just share a story. When I first, at age 16, um, had a few hits of acid that somebody had given me. And one night, I, somebody had told me that I'd had a half a hit. Somebody said, you know, you should think about taking a whole hit of that. <laughs> and one night I thought, okay, tonight's the night. And there was something about the vast unknowability of what I was facing, which was ultimately the unknowability of my own mind, or we could even say of my own body mind, if we don't want to, you know, we want to try to avoid dualism. Uh, there was something about being, as my wife says, a psychosomonaut of going into, of exploring an unknown zone, which I think is incredibly precious. And I think it would be really, really too bad if we began to think that we understand psychedelics, if we begin to think that we know what they're for, which is one of the marketing uh, moves that's being made right now. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, um, I, you know, I, I think that would, would be ultimately to imagine that we know what consciousness is for, mm. or that we know what it is. And if, um, if the man can convince us that we know what consciousness is, then we've lost the fucking battle. Ugh. When I'm on acid... I, what I like to do is run around in back alleys and train yards and, um, like, you know, like big, like, like the underbellies of stadiums and like the, the, the like physical infrastructure of the like megalithic society that I live in and sort of marvel at all of the, uh, ingenious and bare yet barely functioning pieces of it. And it really does feel connected to me to that sense of transgression because I'm behind the scenes. And that's where I want to be is like in the backstage area of reality do you think that a society with no backstage because it makes the backstage part of the performance could possibly function or will it go insane? <laughs> I, 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 I don't think, I don't think a society without a backstage can function. Uh, I think, I think there's necessarily uh, a shadow. Mm. I think that's inherent to the nature of reality and to the nature of society. Um, but 
you know, specifically the kind of backstage of industrial techno-capitalist society, uh, I think that's, isn't it, it's one of the kind of real joys of these kinds of medicines, shall we call them, is that they reveal in a certain way, uh, they reveal the snot of which civilization, which is holding civilization together. And, uh, you know, there's a great quote, um, I think it was Ginsburg who said this, who said, there is a molecule which was the culmination of 500 years of industrialization, and that molecule renders industrialization ridiculous when you take it into yourself. And I, I think that's, that's really part of my experience, too, whether you drop acid in a train yard or whether you drop it in the woods and then come back to a city, you really, it, it gives you a sense of the pure ridiculousness of, of the life that has been constructed. And, you know, I think that's precious. What frightens me is that the backstage area of a psychedelic society becomes the operating room and the observation room behind the two-way mirror and the sort of uh, psychological medical engineering underbelly behind de determining which states of consciousness are uh, you know, for sale today, uh, and, or, or which ones, which ones this individual ought to have in order to conform to whatever. Um, that seems like where that feels like where it's going to me, uh, in, in the sort of rhetoric of the psychedelic legitimate psychedelic industry. Um, but I also feel like those people are as ridiculous as anything else and that their enterprise will be false and have its own shadow. Do you think there is life under that regime or, or do you think like, do you think we can hide from it or do you think it needs to be stopped? Uh, I, uh, I uh, sadly do not think there is any stopping it. Uh, uh, it is a nightmarish vision and that's why I think um, the trick for us is organizing to resist and carving out spaces which it cannot see. And there I have faith. I'm very pessimistic about actually influencing the juggernaut of techno-capitalism. However, I am pretty optimistic about nurturing undergrounds. And that's what I think we can do.